Thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Sadly, today was not the day that this president decided to create a national response to a pandemic that is holding this country back and literally making us sick. We just shattered our previous single-day record of coronavirus cases. More than 55,000 infections reported just today. And Trump just trying to play you once again, this time about schools, saying the tough talk. He's going to crank up pressure to get all schools open this fall. We're very much going to put pressure on uh, governors and everybody else to open the schools, to get them open. And uh, it's very important. It's very important for our country. It's very important for the well-being of the student and the parents. It's going to be uh, a much better climate than it is right now. We're on the right side of things. Deborah, I think we can say that. A lot of work has been done. We understand what we're doing very, very well. Just not true. Let's start with what matters most. Where's the plan? I'm going to put pressure on the governors. What about putting pressure on yourself? You are the biggest branch of government. You have the most resources. You have the most experts. Why aren't you doing this? If you're going to talk the talk, walk the walk, don't put it on the states. And we're on the right side? He says we're at 130 dead. Don't forget the thousand. 130,000 dead. Two facts. A key model now shows more than 208,000 of us will be dead by November. However, if 95% of the populations that are at risk, okay, if they wear masks, and history will never forgive this president for discouraging mask use until so late, but if we do it where we need to do it, that mortality number could drop to around 160,000 or so. That's, you know, 40,000 plus lives that could be saved. Also, we have to understand the tricks people play with numbers. Death rates are going down. But why? One, we're getting better at treating the worst cases. Thank God. And we have seen more young people getting the virus. Now, that's good for death toll because they don't get hit as hard in general. But they can be just as contagious, and often they are asymptomatic, so they don't know they have it. But then when they give it to old Aunt Betty, or somebody with diabetes, or somebody else, because they don't think there's anything wrong, they can be very dangerous as spreaders. So be clear, the pandemic is doing anything but abating. The spread is increasing, in large part because we have no national plan. You don't have to take it from me. I'm just an echo. Fauci. Other experts, in fact, all the experts in the government, the head of the CDC picked by Trump, they're all saying it. And mark my words, they will be silenced, even Fauci, but there will be no plan. But don't fear, truth will never be silenced. We'll always know the numbers and we'll always tell you the realities. Trump says, open the schools and everybody should applaud. Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants the schools open but talk is cheap. We need a plan. Silence. Except their backdoor plan to screw more immigrants. He has no plan to get schools open, but if they don't reopen, his guys say, then people who have student visas, they should stay home. Boy, they thought about that. They don't think about how to reopen the schools though. Why? Because the plan is deny, lie, and divide. That's the plan. 
He did the same thing with reopening. Remember, I will insist when it came to figure out how, what did he say? State issue. Testing. Tests for everyone. Hooray! Then what? State issue. PPE, remember? We're going to have the best PPE, the most. We're going to... He didn't get any. He got one place in Maine making PPE here. Look, we all want our kids in school. We all want to reopen. We all want to go where we want and work as we want and buy and sell and create commerce and make memories. Life is so short, but it all requires a plan. Without one, with something like schools, you get where Florida is. A state now hobbled by record cases, ordering public schools to reopen late next month, despite the governor refusing to even release the county-by-county hospitalization rates. You give me one good reason to hide the most important metric of case growth. Try it out. You know how to get me on social media. One good reason. And Trump plans to go and celebrate him this Friday. Oh, you're doing great. Celebrate the wrong way. That talk is toxic. And here is the antiseptic truth. We are five months into this pandemic. Record hospitalizations, only metric that matters. Why? Because if you're sick, you're sick. 31 states with skyrocketing cases. Nearly 3 million sick in this country alone. So let's hone in on making the right choices with a former CDC director, Tom Frieden. Tom, thank you for being with us. Doc, what don't people get about this no national plan criticism? Because it seems to wash over people. I, I think it's really um, challenging. You're right. We don't have a plan. We don't have clear leadership. There isn't someone directly in charge. Chris, at my organization, we work with countries all over the world. The first thing we say is, have an incident management system, have one person in charge reporting to the head of state, come up with a plan, and then report publicly on the website, on the dashboard of the key indicators every week so that everyone's on the same page. So we know, are we getting better? Are we getting worse? How long is it taking tests to come back? What proportion of contacts are being connected with within four days of an index patient being diagnosed? How many people are getting disease when they're already quarantined? What are, what's happening with our outbreaks? The US is an outlier here. We're a laggard and it hasn't always been this way. The US has been a leader in the past. So I think you're absolutely right. We need a strategy, we need a plan, we need accountability. And uh, we need to recognize that we're not gonna get out of this for a long time. As this is going on, there are hundreds of thousands of people being infected. Uh, if you think about how long someone stays infectious, it could be a week, 10 days. So if you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people infected, you're talking about more than a million people infectious today in the United States, walking around somewhere. And that's going to take a long time to recede. The and it's going to take longer if we don't deny it. The counter is, ah, Frieden, these doctors and scientists, you know, they get all worked up over possibilities. But the reality is death numbers are going down here. It's got to be good. We have to be on the right side of things if that's true. What is the truth? Well, it's certainly great that there are fewer deaths now than there were before. The problem is that you have to look at what's really going to happen. What's really going to happen is with all of the infected people, yes, it's mostly many young adults where the increase is, but they're not going to stay just with young adults. It's going to infect other people. There are vulnerable people in the uh, ages of uh, 20 to 60. Um, 
uh, we've seen this past week some tragic deaths of young people didn't have prior illnesses as far as they knew. And this is not a benign illness. Yes, for most people, they're going to be fine. But some people are going to be really sick and some people are going to die. The death rate will lag in increasing cases. And in this case, because it's younger people for the first wave of this wave, uh, it's going to lag by a month, two, maybe even three. But the deaths will come. We have to take this so seriously. We have to recognize that every case needs to be attended to so it doesn't spread. So we can stop this and get back to schools and work and economic growth right. and health care. So schools. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of the summer, but fall is going to come. Uh, in fact, it comes early, uh, the school season, even before uh, September in some months, uh, like uh, some states like Florida. Now, what is the trick to reopening schools? Actually, Chris, we're releasing a brief on this tomorrow, but I'll give you a preview. Thank you. Um, we, we agree that the question isn't whether to open schools, but how. Mm -hmm. and, and that means, first, the single most important thing that can be done to get a school open is for the whole community to get together and control COVID so it's not exploding in that community. Because if you have exploding COVID in a community, you're not going to be able to open the schools. It's not going to happen. Could you open schools today in But Phoenix? they'll put pressure no on them. They're going to put pressure, though. Didn't you hear them? The president uh, said, I'm going to put pressure on you, Frieden. How did that work out for Texas and Arizona and Florida? One step forward, two, three, four steps back. The only way to do this is to do it smart, do it right, to make sure that we're protecting students, protecting staff, taking a series of measures in addition to getting the, the, the virus under better control in the community, protecting students and staff, protecting the vulnerable, um, doing what we can to reduce the risk, recognizing it's not going to be zero. Risk isn't going to be zero, but that doesn't mean we have to close, nor does it mean we have to charge forward and open. We can't put people in harm's way knowingly. That's not an ethical thing to do, and it wouldn't work even if we tried. People would refuse to go. So what it means is keeping vulnerable students and staff out means making schools as safe as possible. It means being creative, continuing teleschool where it's possible for high school kids, for example, um, except where you have very low case numbers. It means figuring out how to increase distance in schools, it means masking everyone in the school, it means making sure that teachers uh, don't congregate among themselves. We are seeing outbreaks in schools right. in some places. So it's, it's not without risk to open schools, but it's also not without risk to close them because really bad things happen Absolutely. to education, health, social outcomes. I'll tell you, and... Yeah, I'm no scientist, uh, but I am a parent. And I will tell you, this remote schooling thing, it is not one size fits all. Uh, and it's going to create big, big imbalances in this society. So we have to figure out different ways to help communities get back to some semblance of normal. But you're right. The key is how. Tough talk, not enough. Dr. Frieden, thank you. Thank you. All right. If conditions are what they are today in Florida, the superintendent of Florida's Miami-Dade County says he won't allow that new order to reopen schools next month to take effect. But how would they even know what's safe when the state won't give out hospitalization numbers county by county? Have you heard what Florida's teachers are saying about this? You will next. Fact one, all of us want to open schools and we want to do it safely. Fact two, the hard part of this is 
how do we make it safe? Trump has nothing for you on how. So we're going to be putting a lot of pressure on open your schools in the fall. How about putting pressure on himself for a change to do his job as a self-described wartime president? Come up with a plan. It didn't work with reopening. It didn't work with testing. It didn't work with PPE. You have to do more than talk. Without a smart plan on schools, you get Florida mandating all brick and mortar, you know, obviously physically built schools, open five days a week starting next month. This from one of the worst hotspots in the country, where the governor still won't reveal county by county hospitalization numbers. He gave some of the most tiresome answers I've ever heard to a direct question today on that because he doesn't have a good answer. You know who agrees? Frederick Ingram, president of Florida's largest teachers union, and Tracy Merlin, an elementary teacher. These are the people that were setting up to go in there with the kids, right? The parents, we're not going to be in there with all these kids that we don't know every day. We got to make it safe for them. So let's discuss the issues. Uh, Frederick, Tracy, thank you very much for being with me. Um, so in terms of the state of play in your state, uh, where is the union's head in terms of uh, your concerns about going back to school? So, Chris, thank you for having me, uh, and, and I appreciate being on your show. Uh, but let me tell you what we have here uh, in the state of Florida. We have 7,347 new cases today. We have 63 deaths, of uh, COVID-related deaths. And we also have 50,000-plus uh, over the last seven days. We're not going forward. We're going backwards. And we have a governor who has tethered himself to the president of the United States, who is uniquely defined by his secretary of education, Betsy DeVos. We have been given no guidance. We have been given no regulations uh, that make sense to reopen our schools. And in the middle of a pandemic, we're being told that we now have to reopen schools, uh, come hell or high water, brick and mortar uh, being one of those options. And so what we want uh, from our governor is to lead. We don't want him to follow uh, this president nor Betsy DeVos because there's zero credibility there. Uh, Tracy, uh, the good news is, they'll tell you, mostly they're younger people like you getting sick uh, and you don't get so sick. So the death rate is going down. So don't worry, you'll be fine. Well, first off, Chris, it is an honor and I'm humbled to be here. I'm used to having an audience of my 22nd graders in a classroom. So this certainly is a way to amplify teacher voices. And we need that right now because for so long, teachers have been left out of decision-making tactics. What I will say is that we are in Florida. We are the land of the unfunded mandate. There are things coming out of Tallahassee that are expected to take place in our classrooms, in our counties, in our schools, and there's no money behind it. We can't work off of empty words. We need to have specific plans in place so that I am not exposing myself to this pandemic. When I started teaching, we were worried about kids passing notes in school. We were worried about kids chewing gum. Now we're dealing with pandemics walking into our classroom and shooters. This is a very harsh reality for teachers across the country. And unfortunately, without the leadership that is needed, we're not getting the money, we're not getting the specifics, and there is no guarantee that we're going to be safe. My whole path ever since um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which is about 20 minutes from where I live, has been about the students' safety. And I don't think 
as a nurturer, as a maternal teacher, that I can guarantee that my children are safe without the proper things in place. This morning, when I was looking on social media, teachers were posting about where can I get a living will? Not what are we gonna do for science this year or social studies? Who is a person that I can reach out to for a living will? That is completely unacceptable. The other thing that I wanted to share with you is that we are teachers who teach science. My job in my classroom is to look at my students and see what needs do they have? How can I improve what they're learning? Take that information and come up with a customized, individualized plan for the children so that they can make their learning gains. We are giving a one-stop approach to how to deal with this problem, and it's simply not working. There are so many variables that have not been addressed, but the main thing is the funding and the safety. I'm also a mom. I don't want my daughter coming home with any of that. I've been home since March because that's what we were told to do, to go home, to stay safe, get some fresh air and exercise. Let's start with a mask ordinance. Perhaps some of the scientific things that we're hearing about could help to make our community heal. What so, about getting rid of testing? So, I'm sorry, Chris, I have a lot to say. I, listen, I love it, I love it, I love it. And you're, you know, you're used to talking to the elementary kids, you just had to bring it down a few IQ points for me, and I'm picking up everything you're saying, it's, it's perfect. But with, they'll come to the union and say, <laughs> they'll come to the union and say, you'll get your plans, you'll get your plans. But we have to reopen the schools because people can't go back to work without it, Fred. You know that. Um, so we're all going to have to feel this out. Uh, we're all going to have to find our way through. The president's pressuring us to do it. Uh, we're going to have to do it. What's the response of the union? So I'll say this. I'm a high school band director. I love my kids. And I will speak for all the teachers in the state of Florida. We want to be back in school. We want to be in front of our classroom. We want to be teaching our kids. We don't do this for money. We do this because we love our kids. But we need to do this safety, safely. This is life or death. This is about somebody dying. This is about somebody getting uh, eerily What's the sick. average age of the teacher? The average age of a teacher in, uh, between 35 and 45 in the state of Florida, in the state of Florida. All right. So you start getting, uh, you know, at the top end of that, you start getting a little bit more risk, but basically a healthy population. Yeah, but Chris, listen, let me add, let, let me just add this. What if you have a healthy teacher that is in school that is taking care of elderly parents? What are you what if you have a teacher that is in school that has a sick child at home? Yep. And, and, yep. and what if you have a pregnant teacher, you know, somebody with some underlying issues? Uh, they could have anything. And so we're not answering those questions. Nope. Listen, there's high anxiety. There's high angst. People are angry uh, because this is a one size fits all kind of strategy. And we need leadership. We need guidance and we need uh, to have our voices at the table. You can't come up with a plan in Tallahassee and think that that's going to be the best fit for everybody. And in fact, our nation is waiting on, 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 on guidance and we're not getting that uh, anywhere in our federal government anywhere in our state governments and our public schools we know are the cornerstones of our democracy. Right. And if we want hope for our kids, then we better attune to our public schools and get this right. Our kids are depending on us to get this right. A lot of your kids are depending on this to eat. You know, Tracy, you know, we, we ignore this reality very often, uh, but you have a huge population of public school kids. Uh, they need those meals. You know, the one or two that they get a day in that school may be their best bet at nutrition uh, all day long. Uh, and the remote schooling thing, not only does it not address the feeding issue, Tracy, but I got to tell you, as a parent, that ain't one size fits all either. Um, it has been hard for us to have kids, even at these great elite schools that they go to uh, up here in New York City. We got crushed with this Zoom teaching thing, very hard for families. I agree with you, Chris. And here's what I will say. 
Broward County did a great job about having meals disseminated to um, students who needed them. There were pickups that were available for the students, but I want to address the parents' role during the online learning for just a moment. As a parent, because I do have a daughter, um, it was okay with me if she didn't catch every concept because I knew she was alive and I knew she was healthy. It was more important for me to make sure that we kept her busy, that we tried to support her in any way that we could um, instead of sending her into basically um, another epicenter. And so what we have right now is we do have a balance, but as a classroom teacher, and I know there are so many fabulous teachers out there listening, think about all those times that a child has been sick and a parent hasn't been able to come and pick them up. Think about the times that they've forgotten their lunch at home or they needed something and it hasn't come back in. We have so many questions about what does this look like? You know, if, if God forbid somebody has it in a classroom, what does that look like? We can't even get a substitute teacher, not during a pandemic. So now you have a population that is relying on teachers. And I hate to say this, but if the teachers get sick, there's not even going to be an online learning opportunity for your children. Right. So as much right. as you were frustrated with having to wear the hat of being the educator at home, it gave a perspective about what the teachers do. And so if, if we need to be kept around to help ensure that our next generation of kids come out with the knowledge that they need to be successful adults, the first thing we have to look at is how do you have a safe classroom? And when you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the second element of the pyramid is safety. Maslow's I hierarchy of needs. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to end the interview on that. That is, that is very, very, that's very tall grass uh, for this show. But you are right. Maslow's uh, pyramid of needs. That's, uh, you have to be safe. You have to have security, but you have to have education. Obviously, that's going to be the building block for everything. We've got to get it right. Teachers matter too much, and we haven't done enough for you for too long. Uh, Frederick Ingram, uh, good luck to you. Thank you for representing the union. And Tracy Merlin, thank you very much uh, for being the heart and soul of the teachers who mean everything to our kids all over this country. God bless you both. We'll stay thank on the story. You. Thank you. We are not disposable. Thank you. All right. Uh, here's a description that you don't want offered of you. A sociopath with no concept of working for anything, a complete fraud who would mock their own ailing father, and screw their own family. That is how Trump is described by a psychologist who has observed him for decades. Oh, what does a psychologist know? Oh yeah, she's also his niece. Mary Trump says she had to write everything she knows down because she is scared about what her uncle is doing and may do. What's in the book? CNN has it next. The scathing new tell-all from President Trump's niece is now set for release next week. But guess what? CNN already has a copy. Mary Trump's book is called Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. In it, she accuses Donald Trump's father of creating a toxic family dynamic, offers her view as a clinical psychologist on why she believes the president is a sociopath who sees cheating as normal behavior. She even alleges the president cheated on his SATs. White House denies that. She writes, quote, unfortunately, even though Marianne, his sister, had been doing his homework for him, she couldn't take his tests. 
And Donald worried that his grade point average, which put him far from the top of his class, would scuttle his efforts to get accepted. To hedge his bets, he enlisted Joe Shapiro, a smart kid with a reputation for being a good test taker, to take his SATs for him. Donald, who never lacked for funds, paid his buddy well. While Mary Trump isn't publicly commenting because of a restraining order, the White House, as I said, denied the allegation today, calling it completely false. Of course, what's their basis on it? Trump? The book's publication next Tuesday comes two weeks earlier than planned based on high demand now that a court has cleared the way for its release. It is quite a damning portrait by someone who knows our wartime president very, very well. It certainly does, at a minimum, tell you maybe why he can so easily tell you something like coronavirus would magically disappear. If you're not tethered to the truth, it's easy to say. I'll tell you what is disappearing. ICU beds in states like Arizona. We have the mayor of Phoenix here to let you and others across this country know how they got in such dire straits. Next. Arizona's Maricopa County is now in mea culpa mode, apologizing to its citizens for getting crushed by COVID-19. Let me show you the state map. See the red? The state hit another horrible milestone today with a record 117 new deaths in a single day. But look at this, Maricopa County, most cases in the entire state by far. ICU beds there are filling up so fast, experts worry hospitals are days away from having to use crisis standards of care. Unbelievable in the United States of America, can't happen. But how do we stop it? Joining us now is Mayor Kate Gallego of Phoenix, the largest city, of course, in Maricopa County, not to mention the state. Mayor, I know how busy you are. Thank you for coming to primetime. Thanks for having me. So what do you now know was wrong and what do you need to make it right? Arizona was one of the last states to go to stay at home and our governor was one of the first to lift the order. When we he lifted the order. We went straight to crowded nightclubs. We had advertisements with beautiful people saying, reclaim your freedom. Our young people went out and they are responsible for the largest growth in our cases. It's my own demographic, 20 to 44. Right now, we are asking for help from our federal government. There is a huge shortage of testing in Phoenix. People have had to wait up to 13 hours in a car while it is hot. We are predicting highs that could be 117 degrees this weekend. Imagine sitting in a car while you're aching and sick already waiting for a test. Um, I've been asking FEMA to come in and do a testing surge. Um, the Health and Human Services Department is doing one in Baton Rouge. I've invited them to Phoenix. We need a federal partner. And in terms of how to get out of this, uh, in Maricopa County, I think it was on June 20th, um, the county effectively put in a required face covering uh, rule. Uh, so given the lag of this, you should be getting close in a week or so to seeing if that made any change. We know that face coverings slow the spread of COVID-19, and that was important. My city council and I implemented one for the city before the county did, and, and we know it will make a difference. 
But I have been concerned about the number of people in my community who've traveled to parts of Arizona where there isn't a face mask requirement. I hope people will take this seriously because we can save lives together. Why Arizona? Other places reopened too soon. Um, They haven't seen the kind of concentration that you and, of course, Texas is dealing with as well. Now, it leads to an ugly suspicion. Well, you know where those states are, right? They're on the border. Maricopa County. I mean, that is illegal central. If you look at uh, the language of the fringe right, those are the people that are making you sick. All the people that shouldn't be here. What's your response? If you look at what epidemiologists are telling us, it is tracked to young people going out, large gatherings. When Arizona opened, we went to phase three right away. So that was crowded nightclubs, situations where you're very likely to have a high level of transmission. We also had a huge problem with people who just assumed this would follow the patterns of the seasonal flu. We see rapid declines in the summer for flu and people thought, Nothing's as tough as the Arizona heat, but it turns out COVID-19 is pretty tough. So what do you say uh, to the federal government? They watch the show all the time. What do you need? I know that you reached out to FEMA. Um, They're refusing to build a new test center, but they say they will increase your capacity in other ways. You say it's not enough. What do you need? And what happens if you don't get it? We need medical professionals. We need testing kits. We need supplies immediately. Our hospitals are already in dire straits, and they tell us that as In the next two weeks, it is going to get to a unbearable level of crisis. This is the United States of America. We can do better. Does your governor agree? We had a good conversation with the governor's head of testing yesterday. I've been encouraging the governor to request that surge testing. He has not yet done so, but I'm optimistic that he will see people suffering just as I have and partner with us. Testing is a solvable problem. Five months in, we can do better. Mayor, you have this platform as you need it going forward to make the case for what's happening in your community. We are a phone call away. Thank you for helping us raise awareness. God bless and stay healthy. You too. All right. Big questions we're dealing with in this society. The pandemic, systemic racism, The Declaration of Independence states, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. But that's not the reality in America in too many different ways as we now know, or should know. So let's turn to this virus, racism, and let's tackle these truths with Angela Rye next. Whether they want to or not, Americans are facing a lot of hard truths about our country, aren't we? Particularly over the nation's ugly ties to slavery. On one level, you got Republicans saying, you know, the Democrats, they're the ones who started all this slavery stuff. They were about it. We were always on the right side back in the day. Does that make it okay today that Republicans are so quiet about Trump ignoring BLM, seeming to plead the case for Confederate monuments? Now, for some in society, what do we do about the monuments? Some say, get rid of all the statues, all of them, all the founding fathers, get rid of all of them. All of them? You really think you're going to get buy-in with the majority of this country saying we're going to get rid of all the founding fathers and replace them with indigenous peoples and other heroes that we choose today? Well, it is true. Most of the founding fathers, certainly too many, had connections to enslaving people. Or is all this monument talk a distraction 
from real changes that we need to have on the table. All good fodder for conversation for a new segment called These Truths, birthed by friend of show, Angela Rye. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, Chris. So the founding fathers, Trump in his July 4th speech accused protesters who tear down statues of wanting to wipe out history. Context. Well, I dare not ever try to explain context for a Donald Trump speech. But what I can tell you for sure is that history has already been whited out. Um, what we know is that um, erasure has existed for indigenous people, for black people, and for all people of color. Um, and I can tell you for certain in my history books, thank God for my parents who taught me from the very beginning about the power of my blackness and the importance of it in our mark in history, dating before the transatlantic slave trade. And so when we talk about whiting out history, um, what has already happened is that there's been significant erasure from the beginning of time. So when you talk about these monuments and who American history has chosen to lift up as our heroes, what is the truth, Chris, is that some of these people are history makers, but they're no heroes of mine, right? And because they're history makers, the question is, do they belong in a book? Do they belong in a museum? Or do they, should they be celebrated, commemorated, and memorialized in a statue? And I think that there's a big difference there. I hear you. Um, but this is also going to be a very formative principle of how you get a majority for change in this country. Uh, Rushmore, where he gave the speech. You know, you know who's on Mount Rushmore. The suggestion of, hey, they all have to come down. Forget about Washington, Jefferson. Forget about Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, forget about Lincoln. They all got to go. They're all wrong for one reason. Even Lincoln. He did the Emancipation Proclamation, but he didn't think blacks were equal socially. He didn't want them around the house that way. They all got to go. You think you're going to get buy-in in America for any kind of formative change if you start there? Well, and that's exactly the question. So, so often, whether we're talking about on cable news or we're talking about the, de the debates that exist in the halls of Congress, we start at the argument without starting at the same foundational principle just around education. And so if we start from the same educational point, which could very well be, did you know that George Washington was not only a slave owner, but one who believed that he was worthy of the very teeth that were in his slaves' mouths? Is that someone who you want to commemorate on the dollar bill, with the statue, with a holiday, and on Mount Rushmore? Yes, right? it's going to be what you get from 85% of Americans. Because they're going to say and we, what he did was wrong, but he was also the father of the country. And you have to see your history in the context of where the people were then. They were highly imperfect. Uh, this is an experiment. But if you hold everybody to that kind of standard, you'll have nobody. And then I don't think you'll have any buy-in on something that is, as we, all, as we both know very well, the minority of this country cannot change what's wrong by itself. You need the majority to buy in. That's a big obstacle uh, to getting, you know, white Americans, but non-white Americans also to say, we got to remake all our heroes in America. But I do, I do believe that should be the charge. I do believe that if right now we're in um, a society that has, just for example, talking about R. Kelly, right? R. Kelly has been canceled, right? Given this new term that exists on social media because of his mm -hmm. predatory relationship with underage women. 
Rightfully so. You know who else had a predatory relationship with underage women? Thomas Jefferson. I give you Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson. Exactly. And so the question is, should we be celebrating and commemorating people who were that treacherous to whole groups of humans in this country? And I would argue no. So if 41 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence can talk about these truths that they hold as self-evident and then go to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, oh, 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 but there's a large footnote. I wasn't considered human to them. So much so that a Dred Scott decision said so. So much so that we had to wait several years after the Declaration of Independence for the Emancipation Proclamation to even be signed. And I think that we have to have those types of grounding conversations. And Chris, maybe it is that people will say, you know, they're still my founding fathers. That alone, the patriarchal sentiment that exists in that, I think also has to be reframed. Why aren't there any black women heroes on Mount Rushmore? We can't even get Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill after it being agreed to in the Obama administration. We're not talking about the indigenous people who land was stolen from right from beneath their feet. Sitting bulls should be on Mount Rushmore. Crispus Attucks, who was fighting in the American Revolution before he was even deemed human, should be on Mount Rushmore. Frederick Douglass, who really shaped the way but Abraham Lincoln the, the, thought the, about... The line was, these are great presidents. and. Well, and, and I think, yeah, I hear you. I think what I would say is there maybe they were great presidents to someone, but who we really should be commemorating are the people behind the great the great presidents, the people who pushed them to their limits, the people who had them reframe their thinking. That is what I believe this is about. And the truth of the matter is this country is built on a lot that's not good. And we're in this time that is allowing us to reset and really think about what is right what is true and how we should go forward. There's so much that we were taught in history books that is not accurate, right? And I don't think that we should hold up heroes or deem them heroes because it makes us feel better. That I is think not that, honest. And I think that where you wind up is, as long as we don't let ourselves be consumed with this conversation, you're right, we have to have the right operating premise. Um, but, you know, changing who's on Mount Rushmore will help uh, in some way. I think you'd have to add. I think if you do addition by subtraction, uh, I think you're gonna have problems. But I think if you add to our understanding of our collective history and who was positive and who wasn't and change your education, make it more fulsome, make it more honest and transparent about people, flaws and all, that's a good sign. But we will continue this conversation because the idea of these truths um, is what we're playing with in Angela and I's conversations we'll keep having on the show, is what is true and what isn't. A lot That's of it is right, on perspective. End word yeah, to it, you. It is. It is. And I would just tell you that um, some aspects of what we're talking about in truth means it may hurt a little bit, but it's still right. And if it's right, how do we pursue the fullness of the righteousness of this conversation? And the part of it is until we do some policy shifts, engaging in some major policy change to go along with this symbolism that is also very meaningful, we're going to be right here talking about the subtraction versus addition because it's not just about the symbol. But that's what something everyone must agree on. We can't stay where we are. Things right. cannot stay the way they are. How do we move forward? That's a tough question. These conversations will help. I know there are people out there who aren't going to like what Angela says. That's on her. I know you're not going to like what I say. I'm going to test these propositions because that's how we have the conversation. So all love that's and respect right. between me and Angela. You should apply the same to your discernment of what's said in the segment. We'll see how we do, and we'll keep doing it. Angela, God bless. Take care. Thank you, Chris. All right. Uh, Americants, 
okay? Not everything is American. We got to co-expose the Americans also, okay? Especially when it comes to how we move forward together as a society when it comes to racism. There are things we cannot do if we want to get to a better place. I'll point them out next. Let me bring in my man, D. Lemon. We're both observing what's happening in this country, exposing what's wrong, trying to shine light on what's right. In California, this is just wrong. Yeah. Contra Costa County District Attorney's Office has charged two residents with three misdemeanor counts, including a hate crime. And here's why. You know, they got a permit to paint Black Lives Matter there. They got a permit. They did it legally. Yep. These people came in and painted over it yep. illegally. Mm-hmm. And why? Because they said... There is no such thing as racism. It ended with the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah, and they said, not in our town. Not, this will not happen in my town, uh, they said. And, I, you know, I, I played this last night, and the, the thing that got me, Chris, was they were painting, painting over Black Lives Matter letters black in black, <laughs> <laughs> which you would still be able to see because they were painting over the black letters, so they were actually, in a weird way, helping with the art there, Black Lives Matter, black paint. But listen, there are cameras now. People can't get, a, get away with these things. They had to know that they would get caught, or maybe they didn't think. Uh, the guy's wearing a Make America Great Again hat. Uh, he's screaming um, those sorts of things about, I think he's like, Make America Great Again or something uh, of that nature. Um, and this is where we are in this country right now. People think that they can get away and do this stuff, and that it is similar to the conversation that you were having um, with Angela, I guess it's related, um, our country, not your country. This is my country, my town, my city, and there are certain people who don't belong or at least what you think that is right. You want to fight for criminal justice. You want Black Lives Matter. You want to be able to have a sign that you put on the street. You can't do that because it's my town. And look, you know, genius doesn't always have morality attached <laughs> to it. Often it doesn't. And it all fits together, D. Uh, the lies about the pandemic, the lies uh, about, you know, what this president will make happen, the lies of those around him as an echo of support, the lies about uh, what Black Lives Matter is about. It's all about creating division yeah. and making, you know, in a country that is well over 70 percent white. If this happens, it is bad for you. They literally say it on state TV. It's coming for you next. Oh, yeah. Well, so you, you see the, the right wing machine kick in, media machine kick in when you see Trump's um, poll numbers go south. They kick in with a, a, a no Demo- position on the Confederate flag. Yeah. Democratic cities are in chaos right now. Is this what you want from Joe Biden? And they're going to take your country away and they're taking down the statues. And crime the is rising crime is as rising. they defund police. Oh, my gosh. It's so bad. And they get defunding police. It's like. And the people who you saw there. For the most part, not, not them specifically, I'm talking about as a whole fall for it. They fall for it. And that's why they do things like what they did. They want to paint over signs and they think it's our country. This is the country that we built, even though a rich diversity of people helped to build this country. And many of us, meaning our ancestors, for free, did not get paid for it, could not get an education, could not build wealth, or not on statues. Confederate or otherwise, are not on Mount Rushmore. I, I think, listen, 
<laughs> this is gonna people are gonna get pick this up. If they're gonna put someone on Mount Rushmore, considering the history of this country, the first black president should be front and center. Add to Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Look, I think that that's a, first of all, I think it's a more saleable idea than the idea of taking away founding fathers. You know, and again, all of this is uh, fodder for debate and discussion. You got to have the talk. You just can't hate people from having ideas you don't like. You know, that's the only mistake we can make. And, you know, a lot of this, uh, I was talking with my kids about this and we were talking about slavery and I was saying, we did this, we did that, we did this. And I was saying, now listen, you know, you, as you're getting context for this, Cuomo's have only been here a couple of generations, but you have to understand we own the history of this place yeah. because now you are charged with what do you do here? What are you about? How do you collaborate in the creation here? Whether it's the pandemic or whether it's the virus of racism, what we do have to do in this country is everybody, you're doing it beautifully and brilliantly yourself. Of course, I'm biased and I love you, but you're using your platform. You've made a choice. You may not be winning yourself a lot of fans, but you're going to say what you think is true from your experience, hard minted for many years in this business and in this country. Yeah. Everybody's got to make a choice about what they're going to do right now. It's a famous song from Rush. Even if you choose not to decide, you've still made a choice. And that's where this president is with the Confederacy. All right. Preach there, Cuomo. Listen, I have to say it's, um, you know, many times I do this because I am not just speaking for myself, but I'm speaking for other people. And I think it's important to give people, as I've said before, we have to cut people a break in this time. People are vulnerable. You know, we've got the coronavirus. They're sitting at home. Some people don't know where their next meal's coming from. They had a tough time with their jobs and on and on. But you can't let people off the hook. So it's tough for many people's ears to hear some, you say, well, we have to add, we can't change, we can't take it down, when Native Americans would say, well, that didn't happen when it came to us. True. And so what's wrong? What's wrong with all of us together thinking or reshaping our country so that more people rethinking our country and the way we think and where our priorities are so that this country is belongs to everyone. It's Nothing's not just, wrong with it's it. It's not just my country. Right. Maybe some of the people, maybe some of the people, I'm not saying that they should, but maybe some of the people up there on Mount Rushmore, who knows? It wasn't Mount Rushmore. If you, you know, the name shouldn't be Mount Rushmore. If you talk to Native Americans, right. they say it is stolen land. It was only Mount Rushmore 40 years before they started to carve presidents' faces in it. And, and no one got any money for that. And the person who was behind that was one of the founding fathers or right. was a president. Was a president. Was a president. And so- I, I think that you're totally right. I think the premise is where we're gonna have to work towards, which is if we all decide, it's about consensus and collective consciousness. And if you get the to The majority a point, of the people aren't always on the right side though. I mean, look at the civil rights movement. That, that's so, just because- of, Right, but you got to that point where yeah. you got a majority of the country because otherwise you wouldn't have had the legislation. You know, you, you have to get to a point where the country under, look, Plessy v. Ferguson, separate but equal. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people thought that was Supreme Court law of the land. People thought that was the end of the discussion. Yeah. Fine, you got equal rights here. We're equal, but we're separate, which was an extension of Lincoln's philosophy, by the way. Then you had Brown versus the Board of Education. Yeah. And it was a whole rebirth of cultural awareness. Mm -hmm. We need collective conscience. The key has to be the we. And we need education. I really do think we need education. I and, I and I think people need to learn about the founding fathers. As I say, 
they were not perfect. Doesn't mean that True. they didn't do great things. I don't like to deify anyone, right? But um, they were not perfect. Lincoln wasn't perfect. Some, you know, people think that Lincoln just said, hey, listen, we're going to free these people, and that he was always on the right side. Right. No, he wasn't. There, there was were a lot of who pragmatism. wanted to expatriate um, uh, black people or, or Africans mm -hmm. and send them to uh, colonize them, send them somewhere else, right? Uh, and, listen, so, you are dead right. I yeah. was blessed uh, with having a father who was a Lincoln scholar. Yeah. And he was piping this stuff into my head <laughs> since I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, the best thing that ever come out of your pie hole was when you said early on in this, <laughs> if you have a black friend, talk to them. If yeah. you don't have one, find, find one. one. If you're a black person, find one. That is the key. Because yeah. when people start to hear about different people's experiences, things start to change in your own experience, in your own perspective. Yeah. That's where we got to get to. That's all. You got it. Now I got to go. I'll be watching. You better watch. Make your witness. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. No, you're exactly right. We all need to do that. We all need to sit down and have these uncomfortable conversations. You're going to really enjoy my next uh, podcast. We talk all about this. So, And then Beautiful. we'll talk about it on the show. We'll play some of it in, in this handover that we do. But I got to get to the show. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. Be I safe. I love you, Don Lemon. I love you as well. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.